0: Peace and peace to you friends, welcome to The Oak Tree Journeys. My name is Mandy Oaks, and what you've stumbled on is the Encyclopedia Challenge Season 1, Episode 48. Thank you so much for joining us today, it is January 16th, 2022. If this is your first time here, you may be wondering what the Encyclopedia Challenge is. Well, wonder no more. The Encyclopedia Challenge is simply this. I read the encyclopedia to you and you listen. (laughs) Um, And hopefully you'll learn something and hopefully you'll want uh, to learn about more of something. Um, And that's where bonus podcasts come in. So if anyone has a suggestion for a bonus podcast or wants to learn more about an entry, be a person, a place, a thing, uh, let me know. You can write to me at... Uh, My email address, MandyOaks at ProtonMail.com or you can go to my website, TheOakTreeJourneys.com and select contact. Um, You can also review the bonuses that I already have up. Um, I did a Christmas bonus. That was the last bonus I had. Also did a Thanksgiving bonus and a Halloween bonus. And uh, there are some word bonuses on there too. So just uh, browse it and if you want to know how to spell these words because some of them are pronounced really oddly (laughs) compared to how they are spelled. So if you want to know uh, how to spell a word, um, feel free to go to theoaktreejourneys.com and select Encyclopedia Challenge. And there I have a list of all of the words. Uh, For today's list, go to S1 forward slash E48. That's right, we are on our 48th episode and uh 50 will will come pretty quickly um so yeah uh, just uh hit hit that up hit me up on my website or my email and uh, both will be in the description of this podcast so if you don't have a pen and paper to write everything down uh, you can look later on my podcast description and you'll find uh, both my website and my email address um, so I just wanted to say thank you uh, again uh, to those who are listening from Australia and France, as well as to my listeners from the U.S. I definitely appreciate you, and appreciate you coming um, along with me on this journey of, to read the entire encyclopedia. I do have good news. We are almost done. We've got probably a quarter left of the book, um, The New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. Um, and a quarter, actually a little over a quarter left of the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. And yes, this is only the first book. So whenever we start book two, it will still be in the A's because there are a lot of A words, which is really cool. A lot of A names. So, so let's get into it. Uh, without further ado, uh, let's go ahead and get into our quote of the month. Our quote of the month is by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, and it is, Whatever you think you can do, or believe you can do, begin it. Action has magic, grace, and power in it. So that is, whenever I saw that, I thought that was perfect for the new year. If you've made any New Year's resolutions, uh, just do it. (laughs) Just begin it. Uh, Because as Johann says, action has magic, grace, and power. So you just have to do it. And that reminds me, if you do have any New Year's resolutions, uh, let me know what they are. I have not made any. Um, in fact, I feel much, much better. That was actually the only thing I wanted um, on December 31st was to be better. So if you can tell, my voice is so much better. Uh, my sinus infection is gone. I feel great. It's been wonderful. So So yay for that. All right, and uh, now for the reason you're actually here, um, which are the words, the entries. Our first five entries um, are Alfred, Alfred University, Alfredton, Alfrick, and Algie. And the first two um, are from the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. So our first entry is Alfred, which is a village in New York in Algeny County, 68 miles northwest of Elmira, altitude 1,795 feet. Alfred is served by the Erie Railroad. <laughs> to say that 10 times fast. Erie Railroad. It is the site of Alfred University, which we will discuss. The New York State College of Ceramics, the New York State Agricultural and Technical Institute, and has a Carnegie Library. It was settled in 1807, And incorporated in 1887, the population in 1950 was 2,053. So I remember, this is from an encyclopedia from 1956, so there's bound to be many, many more. Okay. And our second entry is Alfred University, again from the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956, a co-educational institution, which was important back then, (laughs) located at Alfred, New York, It was established as a school in 1836 and incorporated as a university in 1857. It includes the New York State College of Ceramics, the New York State Agricultural and Technical Institute, and the School of Theology. Courses offered are the arts and sciences, music, ceramics engineering, ceramic design, agriculture, and electrical technology. Students enrolled numbered 981 so only 981 students in 1950. So you heard that right. Less than 1,000 students were enrolled in 1950. Okay, And let's go to entry number three. And for entries three, four, and five. And in fact, all the way through 13 will be from the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. We're not going to be in the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956 very many more times. It looks like one, two, three more times. So if you remember last week's podcast, we were in it quite a bit, but this week we're only going to be in it a handful of times. So three more times when we get to entry. Fourteen will be the third time. Okay, so let's go to entry number three, which is Alfredon. So Alfreton. And that is Market Town of Derbyshire, England, 12 miles north-northeast from Derby, a station on the Earwash branch of the Midland Railway. It has manufacturers of hats, stockings, and brown earthenware. There are collieries and ironworks in the vicinity. The town is irregularly built and contains many very old houses, but has of late rapidly increased. It is said to derive its name from Alfred the Great, which is pretty cool. We actually talked about Alfred the Great last week, if you remember. And the population, again, this is 1909, 15,355. And entry number four is Alfric. For any Buffy the Vampire Slayer fans out there, it's not Alfric the uh, Demon, (laughs) Uh, but it just says see Alfric. Which was A E L F R I C. So I believe yeah, we've already we've already gone over that. So so look for Alfric from a podcast with the AEs. That would have been a few months ago. I, I don't even know which one it was. Okay, and our fifth entry before break is algae. And when we get back from break, it'll be algae again. So algae. Noun, plural, the general name applied to the lower aquatic plants. Alga, noun, an aquatic plant of the lower order of the vegetable kingdom. Algoid, or I'm sorry, algus, adverb, pertaining to seaweed. Algoid, adverb, like seaweed. Algology, noun, and algology we will see again. But it will refer us, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it'll refer us back to algae. So here's the referral back to algae. Algology, noun, a treatise on the algae or sea plants, the study of sea plants. So again, when we get to algology, it'll refer us back to algae. And that is simply a treatise on the algae or sea plants, the study of sea plants. So with that, let's go to break. And welcome back. Before I get into the next five entries, I did want to mention that I had a safe trip. So thank you so much for your prayers. Um, I drove a total of 11 hours um, on Saturday. So last Saturday. So, yeah, last Saturday. And then, well, um, actually, it would have been two, two Saturdays ago. Um, and then I drove another five hours that following Monday. So I definitely appreciate your prayers. They helped out a lot. Uh, God was definitely with me. Uh, it was a very safe, I have to say, a very safe trip, which is exactly what I wanted. I, I needed a smooth, safe trip, because if you've ever driven um, more than two or three hours, it can get a little tedious. Um, and 11 hours was just, that was a long, a long trip for me. I'm not used to driving that far. My dad whenever he was alive. He was a truck driver, and he could have driven hours and hours and hours and hours. Um, he enjoyed it. Uh, he enjoyed meeting new people on the road and stuff, and talking on the CB radio. But, but me, I'm I'm not much uh, of a of a driver. But it was it was necessary. I had to do it. So thank you again for your prayers. So let's go ahead and move on to our next five entries, which, as promised, we have algae, then alga. Marina, Algardi, Alessandro, which I just realized I have three S's, and instead of two, I thought that looked really weird on the computer, but in my printout I can see why. Okay, and then Algoroba, Algoroba, and then Algaroth. And all five of those, as I previously mentioned, will be from the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. So let's see what they have to say about the second entry of algae, or our sixth entry altogether. And it is rather lengthy. Um, So it's about two and a half pages long. Actually, about three total, if I add up those two half pages. Okay, yeah, so three pages total. So just bear with me. And there are some drawings um, of different types of algae um, with some really... Weird names that you'd probably laugh at me if I try pronouncing, but they'll probably make me try to pronounce it in the entry. So let's see what it says. The general name applied to the lower aquatic plants, known also as seaweeds, which we discussed previously. Formerly, they were considered as constituting a botanical order or class and popularly are still so regarded. However, as our knowledge of their structure has increased, it has become more and more evident that they do not constitute a natural group, but on the contrary are made up of a number of quite diverse kinds of plants in which the aquatic habit is all they have in common. There are a great many species, about 15,000 being known and described. They grow for the most part in water, some in fresh, some in salt, but some in moist rocks or ground, while others are frequently found covering the glass and pots of hot houses. They include all grades, from the little microscopic vesicle to great seaweeds, with which ramify like trees. The diversity in size is as great as in form, some species being visible only through the microscope, some a few inches, others several feet in length, while the laminaria which float along the American coast of the Pacific Ocean, measure more than 100 feet, and some have been reported as very much longer, but these stories are no doubt greatly exaggerated. Some species are firmly fixed at the bottom of the water. Some adhere to rocks and stones left dry by the retiring tide. Some frequently break loose and float about upon and beneath the surface. They have in no case proper roots, but merely processes for their attachment to the surfaces on which they are fixed. They seem to derive their nourishment by all parts of their surface from the water or moist air in which they grow. The gulf weed floats in long pieces in the Atlantic Ocean and all the great seas. A large portion of the sea between the West Indies and the Canary Islands is specially called the Saragossa Sea. The plant is carried in such quantities by the current into the Gulf of Mexico that it is said to cover the sea in tracks of many miles in breadth. Many fabulous stories were related of this gulfweed weed by the ma- mariners of the 15th century. Ships were said to have been stopped in their course, and the crews obliged to cut their way with hatchets. The discoveries of Columbus put an end to these exaggerated reports. <clears throat> Algae are almost entirely of a simple cellular structure, however elongated may be their stems or leaves, having no proper vessels, but consisting of tissues of mostly thin-walled cells. Some of the simplest or lowest organization are propagated by spontaneous fragmentation, in others their reproductive organs consist of spores of various kinds, which are produced either in ordinary cells of the plants or in special receptacles. Antheridia also occur in some, and zoospores or spores with moving cilia, which exhibit phenomena of motion resembling those of animal life, the diatomacea, in which the ordinary mode of reproduction is by the division of cells, were formerly referred to the animal kingdom by some writers. They are entirely microscopic, resemble the animalcules called infusoria, and are generally found in still waters and moist places, but occur in prodigious numbers in some parts of the Antarctic Ocean, which, where they give a color to the water. Their affinities are now known to be wholly with plants, and their reference to the animal kingdom was due to ignorance as to their structure. As to their substance, many algae consist chiefly of vegetable gelatin, which dissolves in water when they are boiled in it, and the gelatinous result constitutes a wholesome and palatable food, as in the case of kerrigan or Irish moss, from which blanc mange is made. The harder Parts of some species are sometimes caracaceous, or horny, or cartilaginous, but never really ligneous. Their color is not always green or rose color, and many of them present a very beautiful appearance to the naked eye, or when examined through a microscope. Many contain an abundance of iodine, different species of wreck, which are cast on shore in vast confused masses by the waves, were formerly gathered and burned in the Orkney Islands in Normandy, and other parts of the world, the ashes forming an article of commerce and containing much of the iodide of sodium. Seaweeds of all kinds are an excellent manure. Several kinds are freely eaten by the Chinese and Japanese. Some of the species so used furnish them also with an admirable glue, of which great quantities are prepared and brought to the market. Alistium helminthicortin Corsican moss, a native of the Mediterranean, and found principally around the shores of Corsica, is used as a vermifuge. The algae may be conveniently grouped under five classes as follows. Before I read the classes, I just have to say, um, in recent times, uh, it is said that algae is very, very good for us. Um, And I've tried it. It smells terrible. (laughs) Um... But it is also what I fed uh, my dog whenever she was really sick. How uh, we would feed her algae, seaweed. And uh, it, it seemed to help, help ease her uh, a little bit. This was a dog I had, a little fur baby I had years and years ago. Uh, poor little thing. But she really seemed, whenever she was able to eat, she really seemed to, to like it and was able to hold it down. So anyway, I just wanted to pause and say that. Okay, so here are the five classes. One... Cyanophycia, the blue green algae in which the plant body is either one celled or composed of a row of cells. In color, they are often blue green, although many are brown green or smoky green. They are all very small or even so minute as to require high powers of the microscope for their study. They occur in fresh or salt waters and are conspicuous in hot springs where they color the bottom and sides. They reproduce mostly by fragmentation, but in many cases, form spores. Number two, the green algae, in which the color is green or exceptionally brownish. The plants range from one-celled structures to filaments, rows of cells, and leaf-like expansions. The single-celled plants are minute, while the others range from delicate threads just visible to the naked eye up to, the, to, up to leaf-like structures many inches in extent. They are found in fresh and salt waters, and the former constitute the pond scums, or frog spittle, etc. They reproduce by fragmentation and also by a genuine sexual process of quite simple nature. Many of the species produce zoospores, which swim about in the water and finally come to rest and give rise to new plants. Number three, Phaephychia. The brown algae are mostly plants of considerable size, an inch or so, up to those many feet in length. They include the kelps, rockweeds, rack, etc., so common on the seashore after a storm. Although they are green plants, their cells have an additional coloring matter which gives them a brown color. Many of them reproduce by a higher and more complex sexual process than is found in the green algae, although in some genera no sexuality has yet been made out, as is the case with the large kelps. Zoospores are common in plants of this class. Number four, Rotophisia, the red algae in which the green color of the cells is hidden by a red or purple coloring matter. Some of these plants are wonderfully beautiful, both in structure and color. They are large enough to be seen with the naked eye, and the largest are several feet in length. They are almost wholly marine, only a few living in fresh waters. Some of them are flat, leaf-like plants rooted below, while others are composed of repeatedly branched stems, the branching being usually in beautifully regular patterns. They have a sexual reproduction by which small fruits are formed, each containing a number of spores. Instead of zoospores, the red algae form tetraspores, which are carried by water currents not being themselves motile. Number 5. Corphysiae the stoneworts are green plants growing in fresh or brackish waters, consisting of erect stems a few inches to several feet high, and bearing numerous whorled branches. The stems are rooted in the bottom of the ponds in which they grow. They have well-developed sexual organs, and the result of the sexual process is the formation of small fruits, which are large enough to be just visible to the naked eye. They do not produce zoospores. The algae have been studied by many eminent botanists, among whom may be mentioned Harvey, whose Nerus Borali Americana figures and describes the American marine algae, while his Phycologia Britannica does the same for the British species, and his Phycologia Australica for the South Pacific species. De Tony, an Italian botanist, has described at length all the species of the second, third, and fourth classes above. In a work of seven volumes, seven, yes, entitled the Syllagogue Algorum, Farlow and Setchel have described many American marine algae, and Wool has described and figured our freshwater species. Okay, and entry number seven is Alga mar- marina. So, Aga Marina, it just says Sea Grass Rack. And that's Rack W-R-A-C-K. Not R-A-C-K, but W-R-A-C-K. Okay, and entry number eight is a person, Algardi, comma, Alessandro, or Alessandro Algardi. And he lived from 1602 to 1654, born in Bologna, an Italian sculptor ranked next to Lord, I don't know if that's Lord or it says L O R, period. Bernini among Italian sculptors of the 17th century, excelling especially in the representation of nude figures. His works, however, suffered from the faults prevalent of his time, especially from a striving after pathos and picturesque effects, opposed to the true character of sculpture. His most important work is a colossal relevo of Attila. In Saint Peter's, Rome. Okay, entry number nine is Algoraba, Algoraba, and it just says sea Carob. <laughs> That's all it says. Okay, and entry number ten before break is Agaroth, and which is a noun, and it's the oxychloride or flowers of antimony. And again, if you want to see how any of these are spelled, please visit my website, TheOakTreeJourneys.com, and go to Encyclopedia Challenge, and this is Season 1, Episode 48, which will be listed as S1 forward slash E48. So with that, let's go to break. And welcome back. Our list of next five entries are Algarotti comma Francesco, comma count, which I don't know why there's a comma there, Algarve, Algazali, or Algazali, comma Abu Hamid, Muhammad, Algabar, and Algebra. Okay, and entry number eleven is Algarati, comma Francesco, comma count, or count Francesco Algarti. Lived from 1712 to 1764, born Venice, an Italian author, studied in Rome and Bologna, and when 21 years old, published in Paris in 1733 a work entitled Newtonianissima per la Donne, or The Newtonian Philosophy Adapted to the Ladies, which was the basis of his subsequent reputation. Until 1739, he lived in France on his return from a journey to ter- Germany oh my goodness gracious! Journey to Russia. He became acquainted with Frederick the Second of Prussia, who elevated him to the rank of count and made him in seventeen forty seven Lord Chamberlain. He was also patronized by Augustus the Third of Poland, and lived alternately in Berlin and Dresden until seventeen fifty four, when he returned to Italy. He died in seventeen sixty four March third. At Pisa, where in the Campo Santo Frederick the Great raised a monument to his memory. Though his poetry shows no great genius, his letters rank with the best in Italian, and in his own time he was recognized as a good judge of painting and architecture, and his reputation is confirmed by his work Saggi so pra la belle arti, or Essays on the Fine Arts, and by the paintings that he selected for the Dresden Gallery. Yes, that's pretty cool. And before we go on to entry number 12, just want to say that whenever I got back from my trip, uh, I got to celebrate some good news with my friends. And that was a lot of fun. I love celebrating good news. So if you have good news, celebrate it. Even if it's just jumping up and down going woohoo, you know, definitely celebrate it and it's it is more fun to celebrate with friends. So we got to go out to eat and um uh, just have a lot of fun. We, in fact, closed down the place. I have not been out that late in a very long time. Um, and no, we did not go to a bar. We don't, we don't do that. Um, but we were just in a restaurant and we were there until nine o'clock when they closed. Um, but, it, but I had a great time with them and I hadn't seen them since last year. And no, that's not December last year. That was months and months and months last year and that's not because for lack of trying we kept trying to get together just things just kept happening um so it was a lot of fun and uh what do you like to do for fun when you're when you're celebrating good news I was just wondering you know I like to just spend time with friends and sometimes if I can't do that I do like to kind of go around the house and go woohoo yay but what do you like to do and whenever you've got good news um let me know, uh, email me at Mandy Oaks at protonmail.com or, uh, contact me at my website, the dot And just let me know what you enjoy doing. Um, whenever you get good news or do you celebrate bad news too? Sometimes you need to, you know, whenever I get a book decline, um, sometimes I celebrate that because, Hey, at least I tried, at least I submitted it. Um, so yeah, just let me know. And, uh, Without further ado, let's go ahead and go to entry number 12, which is Algarve. I think I called it Algarve. This is another instance where it is spelled a little oddly. It's Algarve, and it's the smallest and most southerly of provinces of Portugal between Andalusia and the Atlantic Ocean, estimated 1,875 square miles. In ancient times, it was much more extensive. It received its name from the Arabs in whose language it signifies, quote, a land lying to the west, end quote. It was a Moorish province till 1253 when Alfonso III united it to the crown of Portugal as a separate kingdom. The northern part of the province is occupied by a range of mountains of an average height of 4,000 feet, which form the continuation of the Sierra Moreno of Spain and terminate, in Cape St. Vincent, the southwest extremity of Europe, the highest ridges are entirely destitute of veg- vegetation and the mountainous tract in general admits of but little cultivation. From the main ridge, the country slopes south in jagged terraces and low hills, leaving a level tract of a few miles along the coast. The soil of this plain is but indifferently suited for the production of grain or even of pasturage but it produces abundance of the finest fruits of the south, even plantains and dates. The wine is also of excellent quality. The African heat of the climate is mitigated by the cool sea breeze. The only river of importance is the Guandina and the frontiers of, on the frontiers of Spain. The inhabitants employ themselves chiefly in fishing, in manufacturing salt and cultivating fruit. They are considered the best sailors and the truest friends in Portugal. Well, that's cool. Population 228,551. The chief town is Far- Faro, and the population there is 8,097. So, again, this is in the ni- early 1900s, so 1909. Okay, and entry number 13 is Algazali or Algazala. Kama Abu Hamid Muhammad, or Abu Hamid Muhammad Al-Ghazali, an Arabian philosopher, Persian by birth, born tous in Khorasan in 1058, or 1059, they're uncertain, died in 1111. He first taught theology at Baghdad, but left his chair and traveled in Syria, and lived for some time in Damascus, after which he returned to Persia and resumed teaching. The details of his life given by biographers are numerous, but contradictory. He was one of the most prolific of the Arabian authors. One of his writings, called The Destruction of the Philosophers, was answered by Averroes in a book entitled The Destruction of the Destruction. He also wrote several moral treatises, Al-Ghazali, as a disciple of the Sufis was an opponent of the prevailing Aristotelian philosophy of the day, and predisposed to the mystical dogmas of the eman- emanation, to which, after a keen and critical study of philosophy, he entirely resigned himself. See Dugat's Historia de Philosophis et des Theologians Muslimans, Paris, 1878. I'm assuming that means the history of the philosophers and theologians of Muslims, maybe. I'm not not sure. Muslims, okay. All right, let's go ahead and move on before I continue making a fool of, of myself with the pronunciations and all that. Okay, and for entry number fourteen, as promised, we are going to the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956, and it is algebra. Algebar is the 14th entry, and it's an Arabic name for the constellation Orion. It is sometimes used to designate Rigel the brightest star in this constellation. And let's go back to the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909 for algebra. Now there are two entries for algebra, and one is very short, it's a small paragraph, and that's what we will read right now. And when we and when we get back from break, we will read the second entry for algebra. So entry number fifteen is algebra. Noun, arithmetic by signs. Commonly, the letters of the alphabet, the first letters A, B, C, D, etc., represent known quantities, and the last letters W, X, Y, Z, unknown quantities. Algebraic, adverb, or algebraical, adverb pertaining to algebra. Algebraically, adverb, algebraist, noun, one skilled in algebra. And with those tongue twisters, (laughs) let's go to break and I'm going to grab some water. Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed your break. Um, I grabbed some water, so I'm feeling a lot better. Our next five entries are Algebra, Algeciras, al ha Cyrus, Alger, Horatio, Jr. And sometime between now and before we end this podcast, I'm going to mention dating apps, or get into dating apps, um, so, yeah, we'll we'll talk about dating apps a little bit somewhere in this podcast. I'm not sure where yet, but that'll be coming up. But without uh, further ado, let's go ahead and go to the second algebra entry, or entry number 16 overall, and this is uh, a lot lengthier than the first algebra entry, but I will admit the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. Um, just has two pages, and the 1956 um, has so many pages that for algebra that there's no way we would we would be able to read it all it, It's full of really cool equations, um, but they're more visual um, equations so definitely not going to read it from the 1956 but if you are curious more about algebra, there are algebra books out there like crazy. But we're just going to see what the 1909 version has to say about algebra. And uh, it is a branch of pure mathematics. The name is of Arabic origin. In the first quarter of the 9th century, the mathematician Muhammad bin Musa al khwarizmi born at Khwarazam Kiva, the name is preserved in our word, algorithm, settled at Baghdad, where he wrote the first general work on algebra. So I bet you didn't realize... That algebra had such a rich history, and it was in the first quarter of the 9th century. In the title, he speaks of it as Ilm Algebra Walm Makabala, i.e., the science of supplementing and equalizing, referring to the transposition and reduction of the terms of an equation. Among the Italians of the Middle Ages, it was called the Arte Magore, as having to do with higher kinds of calculation and still of tenor, the regula della cosa, the unknown quantity being denominated cosa, the thing, hence the German name, cos. The Greeks were familiar with the representation of quantities by letters of the alphabet. They solved quadratic equations by geometric geometric methods. The first work on algebra proper is the arithmetic of Diophantus of Alexandria in 275 AD, so 275 A.D. Wow. This consisted of 13 books, of which only 6 are now extant, and dealt, among other matters, with the interminate equations, solutions to be found in integers or fractions, with which the name of Diophantus is still associated. The next great advance came 500 years later with the work of Al-Qorzami, so, so the person we just mentioned. So it was actually even earlier than the ninth century. Okay, this has been translated into English by Dr. Rosen, London, in 1831. The Arabs drew inspiration from both the Greeks and the Hindu. It was through the Arabs that the Europeans got their first acquaintance with algebra. An Italian merchant, Fibonacci, traveling in the Mediterranean about 1200, acquired a knowledge of the science and introduced it among his countrymen on his return. Fibonacci's Liber Liberabac Bacchae was long a mine of information for algebraists. The first work on algebra after the revival of learning is that of the Minaret Friar Pacholi in Venice 1494. Scopani del Foro in Bologna discovered in 1505 the solution of one case of the cubic equation. Tartaglia of Brescia had obtained the complete solution of the cubic by 1541. Cardona of Milan, having procured from the Tartaglia a part of his results under promise of secrecy, published them in his Ars Magna, 1545. The solution has ever since been known as the Cardon's Rule. The Ars Magna also contained the solution of the biquadratic by Cardon's pupil Ferrari. Algebra was cultivated in Germany by Christian Rudolf in a work printed 1525. Michael Stifel followed with his Arithmetica Integra, Nuremberg, 1544, Robert Record, Professor of Mathematics and Rhetoric at Oxford, and Pelletier in France, wrote about 1550. The Frenchman Viette, the foremost mathematician of his time, first made the grand step of using letters to denote the known as well as the unknown quantities. Harriet died 1631 in England, and Gerard Gerard died 1633 in Holland, still further improved on the advances made by Vieta. The geometry, 1637, in Descartes, marks an epoch in algebra. It is rich in new investigations and ideas. Descartes applied algebra to geometry and was the first to represent and treat curves by means of equations. Fermat also contributed much to the science, as did Newton in his Arithmetica Universalis, or Universal Math, in the following period may be mentioned Wallace, MacLaurin, Taylor, and de Mavreau, Mavreau. Then come the great names of Euler and Lagrange. Among the chief promoters of algebra in more recent times are Goss, Abel, Galois, Sylvester, Cayley, and Kronecker. The name algebraic is applied in a general way to all mathematical expressions and calculations involving letters, But it is understood as referring only to the laws of combination. Algebra is thus only a part of analysis which includes on the other side of the calculus where the letters represent variable values and the laws of variation are studied. The first step in algebra is the extension of the number system to include the negative numbers. Under the rule, parentheses negative a times b equals negative ab. And then you've got, in parentheses, negative a times negative b equals ab. We have simply a widened field for the elementary operations, addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division of of arithmetic. And in this field, we may use either numbers or letters. But each numerical expression stands only for itself, while a literal one represents all the cases where its letters take any values, whatever. And herein lies the great power of the science. After the introductory exercises in handling literal quantities, simplifying and combining them, and solving simple equations and problems, reducing them, come to inverse problems, factoring, solution of quadratic equations, etc., opening the way to the theory of equations. As the subject expands, an improvement is made by the employment of fractional and negative exponents, and further and final extension of the number system to include the complex or imaginary numbers. The binomial theorem, progressions, and theory of numbers find an appropriate place. An excellent field of application of algebra is now found in the theory of choice, permutations and combinations, and chance probability. Through the elementary properties of infinite series, the road opens to the study of exponential series and the logarithm, thus connecting the trigonometry. Returning to the theory of equations, the student will meet with the concise expressions known as determinants by which the solution is quickly indicated. A chapter on derivatives serves as an introduction to the calculus and makes the notation of the latter available for the higher theory of equations. See analysis, arithmetic, complex numbers, equations, logarithms, probability, etc. So there we go. I bet you did not know there was such a rich history of algebra. I didn't know um, about the rich history either, so both learned something. And number 17 is Algeciras, which is a town in Spain, province of Cadiz, on the Gulf of Gibraltar. Its harbor is bad, but it has a good dock and fine aqueducts. The citadel is a very dilapidated condition, and the trade in corn and brandy is no longer important. The place, however, which is pleasantly situated, has a picturesque appearance. It was the first town in Spain taken by the Moors in 713, in whose possession it remained for seven centuries. But in 1344, after a siege of twenty months, it was retaken by the brave Alfonso XI, King of Castile. It is said that crusaders from all parts of Europe were present at the siege which was the siege of the age and is spoken of as such. Edward III of England purposed coming in person to the assistance of the Spanish monarch whom he greatly admired. Alfonso destroyed the old Moorish town. The modern one was built by Charles III in 16... I'm sorry, in 1760. Between Algeciras and Tarifa in 1801, June 6, the English admiral... Cimarez attacked the combined French and Spanish fleets under Rear Admiral Lunes. He was defeated but renewed the engagement a few days afterwards and gained a complete victory. It is five miles from Gibraltar across the bay or gulf and ten round by land. The population was 12,465. And if you remember, we did discuss Alfonso the 11th, King of Castile, in last week's podcast. So if you missed that, Um, I would suggest, you after you listen to this podcast, go ahead and go back to last week's podcast uh, to get the full story of that. And number 18 is spelled quite oddly. Um, So to get the spelling of this, go to theoaktreejourneys.com. Go to Encyclopedia Challenge. Again, this is Season 1, Episode 48. Um, But it is pronounced hey Alheimeci, and it's a town of Spain, province of Valencia, 21 miles south southwest of Valencia near the river Jucar. It produces rice and silk and holds a celebrated annual fair in September. And for entry number 19, let's go to the Encyclopedia Americana where we will read about. Alger, Cyrus, or Cyrus Alger, who was an American inventor. I really like and respect inventors. They're pretty cool. He was born West Bridgewater in Massachusetts, 11th of November 1781, died Boston, February 4th of 1856. He learned the iron foundry business and in 1809 established himself in South Boston where he soon made himself widely known by the excellence of the ordnance he manufactured. He supplied the United States government with a large quantity of cannonballs during the War of 1812, produced the first gun ever rifled in America, as well as the first perfect bronze cannon, and supervised the casting of a mortar, which was the largest gun of cast iron that had then been made in the United States. Subsequently, he made improvements on in the construction of time fuses, For bombshells and grenades, patented a method of making cast iron chilled rolls, and was the original designer of the cylinder stove. So wow, he was a very busy man. Very busy. Okay, and entry number 20 before break is Alger, Horatio Jr. or Horatio Alger Jr. And he was an author born Revere near Boston, 1834, January 13th, died 1899, July 18th. He graduated at Harvard College in 1852 and began to teach, also giving time to writing, for which he had early shown adaptation. For a time, he held editorial positions on two Boston newspapers, then made a tour of a year through Europe, keeping his literary connection by corresponding with the American press. That's pretty cool. Upon his return to the United States, he took his old profession of teaching, but continued to write, and in 1866, when he removed to New York, he became deeply interested in the condition of street boys, and was led to give his attention to the writing of works of fiction for youth having as heroes, or for for his illustrations, children of this class. Among his works, which were continued in series, are Ragged Dick, Tattered Tom, and Luck and Pluck. He had written also Bertha's Christmas Vision in 1855, Nothing to Do in 1857, Frank's Campaign or What a Boy Can Do in 1864, Paul Preston's Charge, 1865, Helen Ford, a Novel, 1866. A volume of poems lives in lives of Webster, Lincoln, and Garfield, Luke Walton, and Young Acrobat of the Great North American Circus in 1889. If you've read any of his books, Uh, Let me know. I've never even heard of him. His books sound really interesting. Uh, So just uh, send me a line. Uh, You can email me at mandyokes at protonmail.com. If you've read his books, let me know what you think. Um, If you've never read his books but want to, again, his name is Horatio Alger Jr. And uh, with that, let's go to break. And welcome back. Our list of next the next five entries, so 21 through 25, are strictly from the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909, and they are Alger comma Russell Alexander, Alger comma William Roundsville, Algeria, Algesia, and Algiers. Okay, so entry number 21 is Alger comma Russell Alexander or Russell Alexander Alger, He was a capitalist and manufacturer, born Lafayette, Medina County, Oregon, 1836, February 27th. He died in Washington, D.C. in 1907 on January 24th. He was left an orphan when 13 years old, worked on a farm in summer by the month till he was 20, attending the Richfield Ohio Academy in winters. He taught school in the winters at the age of 19, 20, and 21. Oh, wow. I was not mature enough to do any of that uh, whenever I was that age. He was admitted to the bar by the Supreme Court of Ohio in 1859 and removed to Grand Rapids, Michigan in 1860. At the outbreak of the Civil War, he enlisted as a private in the 2nd Michigan. Volumes, uh, 1861, September 2nd, was commissioned Captain 2nd Michigan Cavalry 1862 April 2nd, promoted major. July 1st, was wounded, captured, and escaped at Boonesville, Mississippi. October 16th, promoted lieutenant colonel, 6th Michigan Cavalry. 1863 on February 28th, commissioned colonel, 5th Michigan Cavalry. 1864 July 8th, wounded at Boonesboro, Maryland. July 11th, breveted brigade general, volumes for gallantry at Trevallin Station, and 1865 June 11th, breveted major general, volumes for services during the war. After the close of the war, he engaged in lumbering and became very wealthy. He was a delegate to the National Republican Convention in Chicago, 1884. Was governor of Michigan from 1885 to 1887 was an unsuccessful candidate for the presidential nomination before the Republican national Convention at Chicago in eighteen eighty eight was commander-in- chief of the grand Army of the Republic eighteen eighty nine to eighteen ninety Secretary of War from eighteen ninety seven to eighteen ninety nine and was elected u s senator in nineteen o three Wow, he was busy too okay, entry number twenty two Alger william roundsville or William Roundsville Alger. He was a clergyman and author, born Freetown, Massachusetts, 1822, December 28, died Boston 1905, 1905, February 7th. graduated Cambridge Division School, Harvard, 1847, and, when, and was ordained pastor of the Unitarian Church in Roxbury. In 1855, he succeeded Theodore Parker as minister of the, of the Society of Liberal Christians in Boston, meeting in Music Hall, where he continued to preach till 1876 when he became minister of the Unitarian Church of the Messiah in New York. He succeeded in this position Orville Dewey and Samuel Osgood, and was followed after three years by Robert Collier. For the next three years, he preached in different cities in the West, but in 1882 settled in Boston and gave his attention to general literature. So, his principal works are The Poetry of the Orient in 1856, Critical History of the Doctrine of a Future Life, 1862, The Genius of Solitude, 1866, Friendships of Women, 1868, Prayers Offered in the Massachusetts House of Representatives, 1868 and 1869, The End of the World and the Day of Judgment, The Sword, the Pen, and the Pulpit, and A Tribute to Charles Dickens in 1870, Life of Edwin Forrest with a Critical History of the Dramatic Art, two volumes, 1876, The School of Life, 1881, A Symbolic History of the Cross of Christ, 1881, The Sources of Consolation in Human Life, 1892. Okay, so with that, so The Genius of Solitude and Friendships of Women, Um, with, with those books, mostly The uh, Genius of Solitude from 1866, this is a good time to mention Dating Apps. Would you ever use them? Have you used them? And do you have any stories to share about using them? Um, my story is, is I decided to go ahead and, and try it out. Um, I tried it out a long, long, long time ago. <laughs> and when they first popped up, and I was super, super young. And uh, yeah, so we won't go into that. But but recently, I, I did try it, try it out, and... I realized I am not weird enough to use them. Um, I got some hits. I, I did uh, with just my picture, nothing else but my picture. So I did get some hits, but I have to say that the people were so weird. I I, I don't just mean the pictures. I mean, their photos were pretty weird too, but their descriptions were so weird that I just couldn't do it I was just like nope 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 and I deleted my profile immediately um I just don't think I'm weird enough to be on there but my mom had success with it after my dad died and she married a really good man named Daryl so hi (laughs) Daryl uh he listens every now and then so so hey a very good guy um and I'm not just saying that because he listens every now and then, but no, he really is a good man. He's a preacher, and I respect him. So I thought, well, yeah, I might give it a shot. Uh, no, 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 no. But what about you? I know, um, you know, like my mom, you may have a success story. Uh, you may not. You may be more like me and be like, ah, people are just way too weird. Um, maybe I'm just not on the right side. If you are just gun ho about dating apps, which one do you like? You know, which one doesn't have the weirdos on there that are just, I'm telling you, weird. Just weird. Um, but yeah, just, you know, let me know. And if you really, really like them, definitely let me know. If you hate them and despise them, I want to hear that too. You know, if you've got any weird stories or horror stories about them, now let me know. Uh, you can email me at mandyokes at protonmail.com or go through my website, theoaktreejourneys.com and select contact and let me know your story about dating apps. Uh, I decided until unless I find just the right one, I'm not going to use it um, because, again, just too weird for me. But it might not be, you know, it may, again, it may just be the app that I used. Okay, and I I tried using two different ones, and they just totally weren't for me. I won't go into which ones they were. Um, but okay, let's go ahead and move on to entry number 23, Algeria. And this one is fairly lengthy. I um, will we'll probably need to take a break um, for Algeria because it is so long. Oh, so we will have a little break in there. So Algeria, a country on the north coast of Africa, a subordinate part of the Turkish Empire till eighteen thirty, now a French colony. It lies between two degrees eight feet west longitude and eight degrees fifty feet east longitude, and is bounded on the north by the Mediterranean, on the east by the Tunis, on the south by Sahara, and on the west by Morocco. The French have extended their dominions more than two hundred miles into the interior but those of the days the former rulers of Algeria comprehended territories lying nearly twice as far as as far south. The census of 1901, March 24th gave the area of the three departments of Algeria, Algiers, Oran, and Constantine, as 184,474 square miles. The departments ranking in size, Constantine, Algiers, and Oran. Physically, Algeria forms a part of the north border of the Great Plateau of North Africa, which here rises from the sea in three terraces. The Atlas Mountains run parallel to the coastline. Behind these, a vast tract of healthy plains, called the Sepkas, interspersed with salt lakes, stretches southwards until bounded by a second chain of mountains. Beyond which, again, lies the Great Desert of Sahara. The plains and valleys which open out towards the sea in the north of Algiers, such as I'm sorry, Algeria, such as those round Bona, Algiers, Oran, etc., are ex- are extremely fertile, abound in wood and water, consist mostly of a calcareous soil, and are well adapted for agriculture. They form the Tell, which was once of the granaries of Italy. In strong contrast to these are the Sepkas or lesser deserts, covered with herbs and brushwood but almost destitute of fresh water, except where here and there they're interrupted by an oasis. The most south part of the country beyond the atlas partakes of the nature of the Sahara, but contains oasis covered with palm trees and well-peopled. This is a part of the date country, or blad el jard There are no rivers of any importance in the entire colony, nothing beyond mere coasts- coast streams, which rise in the neighboring atlas. The largest is the Shaluf, about 230 miles in length. With respect to the climate, the heat of the tell is sometimes very great. On the coast, it is mitigated by the sea breeze, and among the high mountains of the interior, the winters are even cold. The average temperature of Algiers is about 63 degrees Fahrenheit. Algeria is not unfrequently visited by the Samoum, or hot wind, called by the Italians Sirocco, and by the Spaniards Solano. Its mineral wealth is considerable. Iron, lead, copper magnanese are found. The marble of Numidia was in requisition in ancient times. Extensive forests of oaks, cedars, pines, and pistachio nut trees cover large portions of the country and furnish an abundant supply of timber and resin. The cereals and the olive are cultivated in the till, and the oasis of Sahara are famed for their dates. The later region... The latter region, by means of numerous artisan wells, have been made exceedingly productive within recent years. The population has more than doubled in 10 years, and the former desert tracts have more than 500,000 palm and 90,000 fruit trees. The draining of Lake Halula and the Plain of Matija gave 34,000 acres of land to cultivation. Language. Four languages are spoken in Algeria. The Berber, the Arabic, the Turkish, and the Black dialects. The Berber, which is the most ancient of all, has a variety of dialects and is spoken by all the Cabal tribes. It possesses no literature in its own alphabet, Arabic characters alone being used. The Arabic is, of course, an importation from the East and has borrowed expressions and idioms from the various native languages with which it came into contact. But its differences are comparatively slight. The Koran is the great bond of union. The Turkish, since the French conquest, has become almost extinct. Black dialects are of little consequence. History. In the most ancient times, the Numidians were settled in the east part of the Regency and the Moors or Mori in the west. Under the Romans, the former was included in the province of Africa, while the latter was called Mortania Cisernis. Like the rest of North Africa, it had then reached its highest prosperity, it had numerous cities which were principally Roman colonies. But its conquest by the Vandals under the famous Genseric about 440 threw it back into a state of barbarism from which it only partly recovered after the Mohammedan immigrants had established their dominion. About 935, the city Al Jazeera. An example, the island and later Al Ghazi, the warlike now called Algiers, was built by an Arabian prince, Zari, whose successors ruled the land till 1148, after which it was governed by the Almohads till 1269. It was then split up into many small territories. In 1492, the Moors and Jews who had been driven out of Spain settled in Algeria and began to revenge themselves and the persecutors by piracy. Ferdinand, the Spanish monarch, attacked them on this account, took the city of Algiers in 1509, and erected fortifications on the island, which forms its harbor. One of the Algerian princes, the emir of Matija, whose territories were threatened by the Spaniards, now invited to his assistance the Greek renegade Horik, or Horud Barbarossa, who had made himself famous as a Turkish pirate chief. This laid the foundation of the Turkish dominion, from when Barbarossa arrived in 1516. He treacherously turned his corsair bonds against the Emir, Emir, whom he had murdered, and then made himself sultan of Algiers. His subsequent successes alarmed the Spaniards, who marched an army against him from Oran. Barbarossa was defeated in many encounters, and at last being taken prisoner, was beheaded in 1518. His brother was then chosen sultan. He put himself under the protection of the Ottoman court by the help of a Turkish army, drove the Spaniards out of the country, and established that system of military despotism and piracy, which lasted until 1830, when the French captured the city of Algiers and took possession of the country. Under Moslem rule, the Algerians carried on a piratical war against the powers of Christendom, made landings on the Italian and Spanish coasts, were constantly fighting to extend their possessions inland, subdued the whole country to the border of Morocco except the Spanish possession of Lorraine, and advanced their expeditions beyond the Straits of Gibraltar. The court at Constantinople gave them the right to choose a day from among themselves in 1600, but this divided local authority and led to grave int- internal strife. The English bombarded Algiers in 1669, the Dutch in 1670, and the French in 1682 and 1687. day Ibrahim took possession of Oran in 1708, and his successor, Baba Ali, wrested the country from the dominion of the port, conducted a successful war, and concluded peace on his own terms, then followed a period of supreme rule by days, few of whom were permitted to die a natural death. Spain sent an expedition against Algeria in 1775, comprising 44 ships of war, 340 transports, and 25,000 soldiers. But like all her previous ones, this was singularly unfortunate, and Algeria continued to defy the great Christian powers and to enforce tribute from the weak ones. During the French Revolution and at the time of the Empire, powerful fleets in the Mediterranean temporarily checked the piracies, but they were soon resumed as vigorously as ever. The first signal defeat of the pirates was by an American fleet off Carthagena in 1815, June twentieth, when the day was forced to acknowledge the inviolability of the American flag. The English secured from the other Barbary states the recognition of an international law respecting the treatment of prisoners— And when Algeria refused to assent to it, English and Dutch fleets bombarded Algiers and laid half the city in ruins. A treaty was exacted from the day in 1816, and that's day D-E-Y, in which he agreed to release... Let's see, release something... Okay, the release of Christian slaves without ransom, and promised to put an end forever to both piracy and Christian slavery. Outrages against French officials, French vessels, and Roman vessels flying the French flag, succeeded the termination of piracy, and were continued till the French sent a formidable expedition to Algeria, bombarded and captured Algiers, and took possession of the whole country in eighteen thirty in July. So I hope you you uh, heard that, you know, it put put away Christian slavery. Under the French occupation, the first administrative officer was Marshal Bormont, Bour- who was succeeded after the revolution of, in France by General Clausel. He undertook to subdue the country and to give it a permanent govern- government, but the people rebelled against the imposition of French laws and customs and the desecration of their sacred places, and Clausel was compelled to send a military expedition against the refractory local authorities, and the turbulent people. This movement led to the preaching of a holy war, and the gradual loss of power by Claussell. For making a treaty of, with the Bay of Tunis, which the home government disapproved, Clausel was recalled. He was succeeded by General Berthazin, who, proving a failure, was speedily oh, superseded by Lieutenant General, the Duke of Ravijo in 1831, December. The Duke remained in Algeria till 1833, in March, was a severe and relentless administrator, annihilated the whole Arab tribe, al Ufia in a night massacre, treacherously slew two powerful Arab chiefs, chiefs, and left the country in widespread warfare against the French. In 1834, the French government resolved to retain possession of the country. It created an an administration with supreme power, civil and military, invested in a governor-general receiving orders direct from the minister of war. For the administration of justice, a variety of tribunals was provided. Frenchmen and foreigners were made amenable to French laws and the natives to their own. The municipal institutions, educational system, and police arrangements of France were established, and for the first time in many years, an era of peace and prosperity seemed about dawning, when the treaty was suddenly broken and the French army was signally defeated at Magda. A change in administrative and military officers was made. Clausel was sent to Algeria and took vigorous measures to wipe away the disgrace of the Makhta defeat. And Abdel el kadir the emir whom the people had rallied when the Marabouts began preaching the holy war, became all powerful. Numerous expeditions were sent against him without material results. And in 1837, May 30th, the last appointed French commander, General. Bugad was compelled to make peace with him. Abd el Kdir recognized the sovereignty of France over the regency and received in return the government of the provinces of Oran, Tatira, and Algiers, excepting the cities of Oran, Arzu, Masagran, Mostaganem, Algiers, Blida, and Calais Sahil, and the plain of Meteja, lieutenant general. Deramont succeeded Marshal Clausel in 1837 in February. He chastised the cabals of the province of Algiers and May 13th stormed and captured the city of Constantine, which victory led to the subjugation of the inner, oh, I'm sorry, entire province of Con- Constantine. Some of these words are scratched out, but cost the commander his life. In 1839, Abdel Kadir again violated the treaty, headed an uprising, regained his former power, and carried on a skillful warfare against the French till eighteen forty seven when his fortunes changed the most the most of his allies and followers deserted him. The French succeeded in hemming him in on all sides, and he surrendered to General Lamassir near the end of December during the French Revolution of eighteen forty eight In February, the Cabels made a new insurrection, which, however, was soon quelled. The National Assembly declared Algeria a permanent possession of the Republic and proposed to grant it all the political privileges of a French province. While the French were extending the work of conquest, colonization, and civilization, the Cabels stubbornly resisted every attempt at subjugation or the imposition of civilized discipline, and further military operations were soon found necessary." In 1853 to 1854 and 1856 to 1857, expeditions were organized against the Cabels, and after a barbarous struggle, the French subdued, subdued them. In 1860, Marshal Pellissier was appointed governor-general. In 1863, Emperor Napoleon offered Algeria a new constitution. In 1864, troubles arose between the colonists and Arabs, in which the latter were again conquered, and Marshal MacMahon succeeded Pelsier. In eighteen sixty-five, Napoleon visited Algeria and promised to maintain its nationality, while declaring that it must continue united it to France. In eighteen sixty-seven, two expeditions reduced to submission several tribes that had revolted. In eighteen sixty-seven to eighteen sixty-eight, Algeria was visited by a famine. In eighteen seventy, when the Franco-Prussian War compelled the withdrawal of the greater part of the French troops from Algeria the natives began to entertain hopes of freeing themselves from the yoke of the invader and in the face shall not blame them in the face of a threatened general uprising and the growing discontent of the colonists with the military government the new republican government in paris authorized a civil administration with a governor prefect for each province and a council of which the prefects archbishops commander of the army and other officials were members Since the French occupation there has been steady increase of the foreign trade of Algeria, three-fourths of the imports coming from France, and two-thirds of the exports going thither. The principal imports are manufactured cotton, woolen, linen, and silk goods, sugar, hides, building materials, and metals, and exports cereals, wool, live animals, fruit, vegetable fibers, cork and iron, copper and lead ores. Mohammedan schools for instruction in French and Arabic were maintained by the government and attended largely by pupils of both sexes. Population According to the census of 1901, March 24th, the Department of Constantine had 1,990,992, that of Algiers 1,640,985, and that of Oran 1,107,354. The total being 4,739,331. The native population was 4,072,080. Wow. Oh, I don't know um, how Algeria is fa- is uh, faring now, but that was, man, it's a rough history. Okay. And our 24th entry is Algesia, which is a very interesting word, algesia is an interesting word, um, and, uh, it's a noun, and it means the capacity to experience pain, sometimes used as synonymous with hyperesthesia, oversensitive to sensory stimulation. So that's algesia. I've experienced that a few times, um, Especially when I was on, working on site. Uh, but if you've ever experienced that, let me know. It can be quite... Um, I'm going to use the word irritating. Uh, it's, it's, uh, irritating is not the appropriate word. Um, disturbing. Disturbing is the appropriate word. Okay, and uh, through Algeria, we heard about Algiers quite a bit. Uh, but we're going to look in into Algiers in its own separate entry, and this is entry number 25, which is Algiers. And it's a capital of Algeria, built about 935 by an Arab chief. It rises from the seashore up the sides of precipitous hill in the form of an equilateral triangle. The apex is formed by the Kasbah, the ancient fortress of the days, and that's D-E-Y-S, which is 500 feet above the sea level, and commands the whole town. The base is a mile in length. The present city may be regarded as divided into two parts, the old or high town, and the new or low town. With the exception of some mosques, houses, squares, oh, with the exception of some mosques, the latter consists of wharves, warehouses, government houses, squares, and streets, principally built and inhabited by the French, while the former is almost wholly Moorish, both in its edifices and inhabitants. The great center of bustle and activity in Algiers is the Place Royale, a large oblong oblong space in the center of the town, planted with the orange and lime trees, and surrounded by houses in the European style. Here may be found as motley a crowd as anywhere in the world, denizens of all nations—Arabs, Moors, Jews, French, Spaniards, Maltese, Germans, Italians, etc. The city is intersected by two large parallel streets, Bab-el-Oud and Bab-Azun, running north and south for more than half a mile. They are flanked by colonnades, but are very narrow and therefore inconvenient for traffic. As promenades, however, nothing could be more agreeable. In 1833— Algiers had upwards of 100 mosques and marabouts. The mosques are divided into two classes, the the, uh, jamas or principal mosques and the masjids or inferior mosques. The marabouts are the tombs and sanctuaries of saints. Everywhere Algiers wears the aspect of a rising colonial city. Other towns in the province still retain their oriental character with the exception of a few military buildings. But the new town of Algiers might deceive the traveler into, into the belief that he is still in Europe were it not for the throng of swarthy faces he meets. The streets are regular, spacious, and elegant, some of them as handsome as the Parisian boulevards and ordained with arcades. The shops, too, are occasionally very good. The houses are in some instances five stories high, which, though it gives a massive and imposing appearance to the city, is yet a very perilous innovation in a place which has suffered dreadfully from earthquakes. But perhaps greater interest attaches to the old Moorish town, which is connected with the new, by a steep, narrow, jagged-looking street called the Kasbah, leading down the fortress of the days. The houses are square, substantial, flat-roofed, rise irregularly over one over the other, and have no windows but only peepholes, which are intended to exclude impertinent eyes, and are therefore fortified with iron gratings instead of glass, so that the houses have a very prison-like appearance. Although the streets at first contrast unfavorably with those of Europe, on account of their narrowness, the coolness which this secures soon reconciles the traveler to other inconveniences. The town has supreme courts of justice, a chamber and tribunal of commerce, a college and schools, a Roman Catholic cathedral and churches, a French Protestant church, a synagogue, a bazaar of native industry, theaters, and banks. It is misgoverned by a long succession of Turkish days, fell into the hands of the French in 1830, see Algeria, which we just read, who ended the ferocious despotism. The Turks withdrew in great numbers. Algiers is now known as the chief commercial place in Algeria. Population in 1901 was 96,542. And with that, let's go to break and welcome back. Our last five entries for this week are algin, Algoa bay, algol, Algology algometer. okay, so entry number twenty six is algin. And that is a substance forming in part a jelly like material on the surface of certain seaweeds. The phthalate of a luminaria, chemically treated, produce a gelatinous mass about 2% of which is algin. This mass, heated and filtered, leaves a cellulose amounting to 10 to 15% of the air dried plant. The solution contains also mucilage and dextrin. Add sulfuric or hydrochloric acid, and the algin becomes compact. To render this soluble, redissolve in carbonate of soda. Algin is used as sizing for textile fabrics and for culinary purposes. The dry algin resembles horn and can be turned and polished. Okay, and that was entry number 26. Now, before we move on, um, I just want to remind everyone to to uh, send me your, your dating app stories, you know, or lessons, uh, like don't use it or use it or use this one, or um, if you would never use it, why why would you never use it? Uh, so just let me know. And again, that is, uh, my email address is MandyOaks at protonmail.com, or you can go to Oaktreejourneys.com and select contact and let me know there. And also, um, what do you do to celebrate? Um, good news or bad news, or, you know, just, you know, what do you do to celebrate? You know, I went uh, out to eat with my friends, and we we were there for quite a few hours, actually. And it was a lot of fun. So, yeah, what, what do you do? So just uh, send me some of your responses uh, through my email address or through my website. And again, both of those, if you don't have a pen and paper to write on, I know I listen to podcasts when I'm driving, so there's no way... No way I can write anything down while I'm driving. And I don't suggest it. Please don't do that. Uh, But just uh, after you're done listening, whenever you park or something, uh, the description of the podcast does have my email address and my website. So you can go to those. Okay, and let's move on to entry number 27, which is Algoa Bay. Algoa Bay. And that is an extensive inlet at the east extremity of the south coast of Africa, About 430 miles east of Cape Town. Its anchorage is mostly good and it is the harbor of the East Province. See Cape of Good Hope. And for entry number 28, we go to finally the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956, and that is Al Gol, and it's in Arabic, it means the demon. Star Beta in the constellation of Perseus, remarkable as a short period variable. It shines at 2.2 magnitude for just short of two days, 21 hours, whereupon, due to the interposition of a darker companion, it is partially eclipsed, and the magnitude decreases within four hours and 30 minutes to 3.5. After 20 minutes, a return to full brightness is begun. This phenomenon was first explained by John Goodrick in 1783. All right, so let's go back to the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1999, and I want to remind everyone that whenever we read from this, this is from the early 1900s. So some of these entries may sound a little weird, some of them may sound a little racy. Uh, In other words... (laughs) But it is from the early 1900s, so we're just reading it, we're not here to judge it, I'm just reading it. All right. And entry number 29, as promised, if you remember from the beginning of this podcast, we have algology or algology, and we told you what that was in the second algae, which was entry number 6 for this podcast. So it tells us to see under algae which was entry number 6. Or no, I'm sorry, entry number 5. Entry number 5 is when and when we defined that. Okay, and the very last entry for this week is algometer, which is a noun, and that is an instrument for measuring sensibility to pain. So I remember we had the um, definition for sensitivity to pain, which was Algesia or algesia. And now we have algometer. And it's an instrument for measuring sensibility to pain. The common form consists of a button or disc mounted on the end of a rod, which is attached to a spring in such a manner that when the disc is placed against the skin, the spring begins to compress. The point at which the pressure becomes painful is regarded as the threshold for pain. See threshold. I'm not really sure that I agree with that, <laughs> um, but that's that's what they did in the early 1900s. So with that, um, we're done. That was a full 30 entries. I appreciate you sticking with me. Uh, thank you so much to my new listeners, and thank you so much uh, to my seasoned listeners uh, for sticking with me for 48 episodes. So yay! And that is a cause for a celebration. So if you want to run around the house, um, not, not in your car, but if you want to run around your house or, or outside, if it's warm enough, going, yay, we've we got to 48. And we have a quarter left of book one in the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. And then we'll still be in A's um, when we get to book two. But that's okay, because uh, the A's are pretty cool. And before I go, I just want to remind you of this month's quote, and it's very appropriate again for the new year, by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Whatever you think you can do or believe you can do, begin it. Action has magic, grace, and power in it. So again, whatever you think you can do or believe you can do, begin it. Action has magic, grace, and power in it. So with that, I hope you have a wonderfully blessed week, and I bid you adieu.